I'm David Belson. And I'm Rachel Redan. And this is the Branding London Podcast. The first season is brought to you by Libro Credit Union, a group of epic humans focused on increasing prosperity in southwestern Ontario. They have just launched a new campaign, My Life Here, which fits the theme of this podcast quite nicely. To learn more, go to libro.ca slash mylifehere. Up next is Irene Matheson, MP for London Fanshawe. I had a great conversation with Irene and uh, like some of the MPPs and MP conversations. It was really fascinating to learn about what they do uh, in the two roles that they have, both at uh, in Ottawa and in Irene's case and back in their constituency office. Irene's a longstanding politician here in London and uh, provides a great perspective on our city and what we do well. Uh, it's my pleasure to present Irene. Here's Rachel with the land acknowledgement and then we'll have the interview for you. We would like to acknowledge the history of the traditional territory and honor the long-standing relationships of the three local First Nation groups of this land and place in southwestern Ontario. The Ottawandaran peoples once settled this region alongside the Algonquin and Haudenosaunee peoples and used this land as their traditional hunting grounds. The three long-standing Indigenous groups of this geographic region are the Anishinaabe, the Haudenosaunee, and the Lenni-Lenape peoples. I'd like to recognize the three First Nations communities neighboring the city of London. Chippewas of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, and Muncie, Delaware Nation. We continue to honor the legacy of the space we're in by using the Roundhouse to tell stories, increase collaboration, and work with our clients to improve human lives. We believe that telling the stories of our fellow Londoners will help bring us together to solve problems. I'm Irene Matheson, and I'm the uh, NDP MP for London Fanshawe. I have been the MP in uh, London Fanshawe for 12 years. I've held a number of portfolios, but uh, currently I am the critic for uh, Canada Post. Mm -hmm. Very excited about uh, the opportunities that that uh, role presents. Uh, But my job, I see it mainly as advocating. People come into my office, uh, they need help in terms of dealing with uh, the federal government, getting over barriers, being able to access um, information or, or uh, sometimes uh, something as simple as a, a visa mm-hmm. to go abroad. So my role is to be the advocate and I take that as uh, the, the key part of my job to look out for people and to help them in terms of their interactions with federal government. And then in the other part of my life, I go to Ottawa. Mm-hmm. And uh, each of us, um, as a political party, has a vision of the country, mm-hmm. what we want to see happening, hopefully for its people and for our collective future. And so uh, I take my constituents' views with me to Ottawa, but I work very hard in order to make sure that Uh, what government is doing, the direction that the country is taking, is in the best interests of people at home and uh, and certainly uh, in terms of the best interests of the people in the international community uh, for whom we have an obligation Mm -hmm. and with whom we deal. So it's interesting because I had um, interviews with Peter Fredriscatos and uh, Kate Young as well. I know. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm experimenting. Uh, uh, sorry, somebody just said uh, I, I posted on my personal uh, 
live rather than corporate live. Um, and I'm curious as far as engagement with that. So thanks, James, for uh, flying by. So I was meeting with um, Kate, uh, Kate Young as well, uh, talked about her experience uh, as an MP, and, and both uh, or all three individuals have really drawn a, a line between uh, the local work and the community, which almost sounds universal regardless of what party, helping people access and interface uh, with their government. And then there's a whole other side, which is in Ottawa, which is the policy work. Uh, is that, is that a, you know, I heard the same story from three people. Is that fair to say that every MP, regardless of their political affiliation, has a job to do to help constituents figure out how to work with government if they're in the area? And then a second, which is to go take your, your political constituent views to Ottawa. I, I think that that is uh, uh, very safe to say. Uh, and I think that uh, any MP worth his or her salt has to regard this job as a trust mm -hmm. from constituents. Uh, people are are um, giving you that opportunity to speak on their behalf. And as long as you understand that your role is as a servant to the community, uh, then that's fine. Uh, if it ever becomes about you, you're, you're done. And you should get out of the <laughs> business in a hurry. That's interesting. And you could probably delve into a whole other subject area around that that I'm going to practically avoid. Because I do think there are some issues in the populist um, movements and politics and states, and we're seeing some of it here, uh, yes. where it is, does become about the individual. And I would agree with you that that's, that's dangerous. Public servants sometimes we lose the, the servant piece of that. Um, I'm going to avoid that particular rabbit hole as much as it, fa it fascinates me. Um, maybe you know because people will have the opportunity to hear from Peter and, and Kate as well. Um, maybe describe uh, what's like to be an MP in, a, in an opposition or when the party's not. Power. What is your uh, when you're in Ottawa doing that advocacy work? Um, how does that maybe differ being in the caucus of a government that is in in power? Where do you um, how do you show up and how do you uh, help move your constituents' views forward when your party's not in power? Yeah. Well, certainly uh, when you are in opposition, there are challenges, um, and uh, and one of the key challenges is getting the attention of. Uh, the minister or the entity that can help resolve the issue that you're working on. And uh, some of them are better than others. Um, it uh, is important to be persistent. Mm -hmm. And it's important, I think, to establish uh, a, a relationship, a respectful one, in regard to uh, the, um, I guess, the politics of it all. Uh, it, um, it can take some time. It always takes much, much longer than you think it should. And... Uh, it's about being uh, clear, accurate, and, and diligent. So um, dealing with uh, government, um, uh, being respectful, uh, I think, too, is uh, an element because we can, if you've ever watched Question Period, sometimes be rather irreverent. Mm -hmm. And uh, your point about um, going into public life with good intentions, I, I think that that is true. That's great, uh, and it's, it's an interesting reflection on uh, the work that MPs do uh, on the, the spectrum, or you know, the party in power versus not party mm -hmm. in power. So, it's, uh, and one last piece on your job, mostly because I'm curious, uh, what does it mean to be a critic of something <laughs> beyond oh. just yeah? Can you get your views in in public policy, or is it 
you're just literally all you do is criticize. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and it's a, a rather interesting term. Um, it's not just about uh, criticizing. It's about uh, being vigilant, but offering uh, um, uh, not a necessarily opposite view, but uh, a perspective and offering advice uh, because nobody has all the answers. Mm-hmm. And whenever a piece of legislation is written, there's always flaws. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter what it is that you're attempting to do. There's an upside, but there's always a downside. And I think the role of the critic is to be vigilant, is to bring that other perspective. Uh, If there's a piece of legislation, we can go to committee and make amendments, uh, recommendations. The committees are are bipartisan, right? Well, well, yes, ideally. No, or... (laughs) Well, ideally, yeah. uh, they're supposed to be independent, and uh, a good committee will find that balance so that uh, good ideas are uh, pursued. But to be candid, if a, a government doesn't want to accept amendments or recommendations, it doesn't have to, particularly mm-hmm. in a majority situation. And uh, as often as not, um, the government in power will simply go down its path and reject the ideas uh, that are offered. And I I think that that's very unfortunate. That's one of the reasons that uh, we are so in favor of proportional representation, Mm -hmm. because in a a PR parliament, governments have to start looking around and considering the other views and uh, the input. Very, very healthy, I think, in a democracy. Uh, majority governments. Uh, I've been through two of them now, and I'm not a fan. I think you'd be a fan if your your party was the one in the majority. Well, there's a danger. Curious, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and and uh, I think um, uh, I think that we're realistic enough to know it doesn't matter how strong your majority is. Someday you're not going to have that. Right. Yeah. And you have to be cognizant of the fact the rights of the uh, minority. And the input, the really good input that you can receive from uh, other other parties, other members. So uh, I would hope, um, and I, we were advocating for um, PR even when we were a majority government in Ontario. It seemed and and was an important step to take. I was actually on a committee that uh, worked around the province to investigate various uh, uh, types of PR, and. Uh, we adopted as a party that policy, even uh, when we did hold the levers of power. All right, good to know. Um, you know, we'll, we'll jump a little bit out of the political realm, although I think it might circle back in a few different areas. But I wouldn't uh, be surprised. You're in, uh, <laughs> you're in London, Ontario. Yes. Um, why are you here? Why do you live here? I was born in London, um, and uh, uh, have very, very close ties uh, to the city. I've spent my entire life here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my uh, husband and I put our roots down here. Our daughter was born here. Mm-hmm. There is a great deal of good in this city. Uh, it's grown over the number of years that um, I've um, really paid attention as an adult. It's become a stronger, better, more diverse community. Mm-hmm. It's not stayed old, conservative uh, London anymore. Mm-hmm. It, it's a London that has incredible vitality. And and I appreciate that vitality. My uh paternal uh, grandfather was an Italian immigrant. Mm -hmm. And so as a child, uh, I was exposed to that 
um, that family that uh, um, brought um, different food, different ideas, different traditions, and I understand how vital they are to uh, a vibrant community. So London is better than it was 40 years ago, much better. Uh, it is a strong community, whether it's uh, the women's community. We probably have one of the uh, most um, outgoing, positive, progressive women's communities in the country, right here in London, Ontario. And there's great goodness in this community, uh, willingness to help others, um, a willingness to uh, make sure that community is safe. Uh, I, I always felt very safe in the neighborhood in which I lived, and uh, I, I think that's important. So I'm staying. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sticking with uh, this community, and uh, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do that. And when you're in Ottawa, do you get to um, do you get to experience that city as well, or is it, yeah, uh, Ottawa. How would you compare the differences between the two? Well, Ottawa's a lot uh, uh, more affluent. I mean, it's uh, we we um, describe it as uh, two square kilometers um, surrounded by reality, uh, because there is a uh, uh, a very affluent community, and in terms of the city, it 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 has a lot of features. Um, it's very, very safe. I, I very often go home from work at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, and I feel very safe, very secure there. It's a clean city. But one of the things that is interesting and, and certainly very different from London is their ability to pursue projects. Uh, in London, there's always uh, wrangling uh, and, uh, and concern about uh, money invested. In Ottawa, uh, if there's a project on the go, they just uh, pursue it. Um, it, uh, it doesn't seem to be a factor in terms of um, making the city better, uh, more navigable, uh, more attractive. I suppose that's the advantage to a capital city. Maybe, yeah, and um, I'm curious because it's sort of, I have another question maybe a little bit later on that, that delves into the same issue, but um, is it the, the affluency of the city or is it that there's a uh, perception maybe that the city you know, is a progressive nation's capital, so it makes it easier for policy around you know infrastructure or around larger scale projects that it's like, well, of course we would do that in Ottawa because we have a vision for a city, we know where, uh, what it's supposed to look like, we have a idea in our head of what a capital city is so you don't get the same resistance or is it because there's so, so much money they go over budget on a project i think it's probably a little bit of both that mm -hmm. that uh, uh perception of what a, a capital should look like and and uh, certainly uh it's a very very affluent tax base mm -hmm. uh, with the federal government right in the middle of things um so uh if you don't have the uh revenue uh, it ain't getting built. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that mixture of both is very, very much a key uh, in terms of Ottawa and, and the difference. So what, um, you know, if you're to think of one thing that um, London does better than anywhere else, you know, you put a little on something that matches uh, that? So many things. Um, uh, this, uh, in terms of uh, research and our connection uh, to innovation, mm -hmm. is absolutely remarkable. And I say this because uh, I've always been very, very aware of the firsts that have happened in London. Mm -hmm. I mean, London, Ontario, 
1950s. It was the World Center for Cancer Research mm-hmm. and Cancer Treatment. And uh, stodgy old uh, uh, London, um, at least that's how it was uh, thought of, mm-hmm. was really vibrant in terms of uh, doing that uh, medical research. And we've grown and grown and grown in terms of the University of Western Ontario, mm-hmm. Fanshawe College, uh, the teaching hospitals, and our ability to deliver uh, state-of-the-art care to not just the London community, but to the region. And uh, since 1950, to the world. Uh, I was at the Lawson Institute uh, Research Awards last uh, Wednesday evening, and what is happening in this city is absolutely fabulous. Uh, we need to hear more about uh, the kind of research that is involved in terms of uh, helping our, our veterans, mm-hmm. um, advancing um, medical technology, the machinery of uh, technology, and things like uh, 3D printers. The mm-hmm. keynote speaker was Dr. Julie Lin Wong, and she has done uh, uh, work uh, both in space and on the ground in terms of 3D printers. And she demonstrated how even in a war zone or even in an economically depressed area, if you have a 3D printer and connection to uh, the internet or even um, uh, the uh, quad, uh, the, um, I don't understand technology, but, <laughs> but uh, I guess you'd have it on a, um, a, a a USB stick or yeah. whatever, uh, you can you can plug in your replicator, and you can create things on the ground. And she showed us um, uh, medical tools that um, uh, are very very important but are hard to find. A broken uh, medical device like um, uh, a suction machine, uh, if it's broken, if a part is broken, you can repair it right there, and save lives. Yeah. So this was very exciting. That's part of what London does, and the world has to hear about this. Our own community has to hear about, mm-hmm. and uh, if if I uh, have any luck at all, this government is going to hear about the kind of investments that we need to make, and they're not huge monetary investments. They're just investments of faith in the incredible researchers that we have here in London, and I have to say the other part of Wednesday that uh, made me very, very happy was, uh, A, I, I knew some of the recipients of the awards and the honors, and a lot of them were young women. Mm. And that speaks, again, to that community of women that we have here in London. So we do that very, very well. And, of course, Fanshawe College, way ahead in terms of innovation and how to make that innovation work for community, for the businesses within the community, and how to connect students with those businesses, with the jobs of the future. We, um, I, I think that we don't um, uh, sound our own uh, bell mm-hmm. uh, often enough or loudly enough because good things do happen here. Yeah, I, think, I mean, that's uh, basically explained part of the reason, or maybe the primary reason for launching this, uh, this series, but I had um, Mark Degrees from Trojan here Wednesday, and uh, he mentioned that one-fifth of all uh, the people in China get their water treated through Trojan technology mm-hmm. yes. uh, equipment, um, and the, the impact uh, of that, and as it I, I don't want to exactly quote, but it's a, it's a, it's maybe somewhere north of a billion people 
bringing air better water either you know, into the system or out of the system, um, but you know, improving human water to a billion people. Uh, you know, that sort of blew me away. I mean, I've mm. known about Trojan for years, and the work that they do is phenomenal. Um, but it's you know often cast in the you know successful business lens. But then when you actually kind of take away, like you know, a billion people have better water because of their techn- technological advances. That's huge impact right here in our, our backyard. Um, Absolutely. And so you know those, uh, I think sometimes we lose our uh, our focus and, and have a collective self-esteem problem or that there's not enough uh, interesting things going on. But those stories have been uh, exposed to the degree that I think they should be. And I'm hoping that this project starts to raise some of that awareness and some of the great stuff that's going on here. Yeah. And I'm hoping that others also take up the the charge to, to maybe tell their story. Um, you know, the next, you know, we talked a little bit about innovation and uh, use that word, but I also think it's good to define what is innovation to you. It can mean so many different things to yes. so many different people. Well, innovation, I, I think it's a, a state of mind. Uh, it is uh, uh, having the imagination and creativity to think about uh, what could be and to put that into um, the possibility of technology achieving those goals. And I think um, um, Trojan is a great example. Um, I uh, also, in my writing, and I I toured uh, Trojan probably about 28 years ago, and I was very excited about those possibilities. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also have Purifix in, again, in my writing, Mm -hmm. doing those same things. And and you start to think about, uh, yes, it's a business. Uh, Yes, it's a technology that we can sell to create jobs here. But think about the human health Mm -hmm. impacts of clean water. And, and yes, uh, very important, a uh, billion people in China. But right here in our own backyard, we have uh, indigenous communities that live with boil water orders. Uh, last week, I met with a group of indigenous women who are working very, very hard at Tetanoquique with those fabulous folks to gain confidence, um, uh, advance their education, and they talked about the reality of bathing in water that leaves you with a rash that you're not sure of. Uh, what about bathing your kids in that water? What about drinking that water? Mm-hmm. And that's within 30 kilometers of uh, London, Ontario. So we have an opportunity to use this remarkable talent that we have, these technical um, uh, and and progressive uh, uh, entity or devices and, and make a real difference in terms of human health, and uh, and we have to get uh, we have to get on that because there are um, over a hundred indigenous communities in this country where they cannot drink the water. Mm. Absolutely unacceptable. We have the most uh, uh, clean uh, fresh water of uh, any country in the world, and unless and until we understand its incredible value and, and look after it. Um, we're not the kind of stewards of the environment mm-hmm. and of human health that we could be and should be. And in terms of uh, uh, places like um, Trojan or Purifics, the cost is not all that great. Mm-hmm. It is remarkable what can be done, and it's a matter of political will. And so that's another part of my job to to go to Ottawa and say uh, you are not uh, at a level in terms of the kind of progress that we need, demand, and deserve. And in fact, uh, last hmm, 
this is the spring, all right, so just after Christmas, I, I get my season, I have to go by, all right, where was I, what so was I doing? Yeah, yeah. Um, like <laughs> it, it does, and somebody has got to be held responsible for this weather. But um, uh, my point is that I wrote um, and sent a huge package of information to the Minister of Health, uh, the Minister of the Environment and the uh, Minister uh, responsible for the social aspect of Indigenous Affairs mm -hmm. and the critics, uh, because sometimes you need critics to uh, move things along, mm -hmm. about precisely this. Uh, I'm still waiting to hear back, but um, it seems to me, as, as I said initially, that the government there is to serve and to look after uh, the country and the people in it, uh, to fill in the gaps that... Um, uh, perhaps um, um, corporations, businesses, uh, other entities do not. And uh, they have a chance to get on with it. And this is important. And so I, I may have to follow up with uh, a couple of letters when I get back to Ottawa. <laughs> I, I certainly expect you will, unfortunately. Um, but I think it's, a, you know, it's interesting. It's come up a few times in, in a London context. Uh, as well, uh, but it's really you know, uh, a regional and a global one um, that uh, sometimes is really hard to be proud of what your community is doing while recognizing so many different ways that our community is falling down. And I think you know, on a national level, you could say the same thing. You know, Canada has so many great things, um, but the indigenous population in those areas yes. has really fallen down. And um, you know, the the debate and uh, it will continue to rage on through this series is um, can we say that we are a great city or a great nation uh, if we know that we have some deep, deep problems that we uh, are either not addressing or not addressing quickly enough or not even acknowledging uh, you know, our problems that we need to address. Um, and I think that's a really interesting, uh, I've had two different perspectives and I'd love to hear your, you know, your take on it, um, which is that uh, you know, by talking about uh, the, the, by having a vision, so I'll put at the federal level for you and break it uh, down to the regional. Um, if you have a strong vision for what Canada is and what it means to be a Canadian and what it means to represent Canada on a global stage and our, our values and how we want to treat people, but we know that we have say, 100 communities without safe drinking water, um, can we actually, in good faith, say that? Canada is a great country, knowing that we have this problem, or does ha or saying that you know Canada is a great country, it's a world class country that takes care of its people, force a lens to that issue uh, where that note is more discordant, which is well, you know, we say that we're great, and we know that we're great, and we know that we can be great, but over here we're clearly not. Being great. Does it provide more energy and more focus in on highlighting that issue, or does it allow the structures and power structures that exist? say we're great and therefore we can ignore suffering that's happening in our own backyard. Well, that's where um, uh, having a multi-party system is so very, very important. And I, I think we have some incredible advantages to our neighbors to the south. I mean, they have the two-party system and they simply go back and forth and back mm -hmm. and forth while well, we do that a bit here mm -hmm. too. Um, but um, they don't have um, that um, uh, catalyst for change uh, in the same way that we have it. And yes, Canada is a magnificent country. We are a great country. All you have to do is travel virtually anywhere else to understand what we have here. 
uh, and and the possibilities that we have here. But that doesn't mean that we, A, can't do better, and it doesn't mean that we have to acknowledge um, the um, needs within our, our communities. And uh, it um, I think it, it starts with um, understanding maybe very, very small gestures on the part of individuals, that, that recognition that every person can make a difference and mm-hmm. that every person has the opportunity. Uh, when I was uh, teaching, I, I learned very early on that um, you can't just talk the talk, you have to walk the walk. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I tried to impress on my students, that you have a family unit. And so what, as a member of that family, do you do in order to make uh, life better um, mm-hmm. and contribute? And that contribution impacts your community, uh, your school. Uh, that school, that community impacts the province, the province impacts the nation. Mm-hmm. So uh, that um, that opportunity to, to do something very, very small has uh, an exponential uh, effect. It's like, you know, the, the pebble in the pool. It mm. just goes outward and outward and, and further and further. So, yes, let's acknowledge that uh, we have some real issues here. But I feel that um, our opportunity and our ability to make things right has never been better. Mm-hmm. We have the Truth and Reconciliation uh, Commission, um, and uh, I sat in at the uh, middle and the end of that testimony, and I can tell you that it was horrendous, mm-hmm. um, unspeakable in, in so many ways. But when I go out and talk to students about it, when I talk to people in my community, there's a recognition that um, we have to make things right. Mm-hmm. And it used to be that you got, well, I didn't do it, so right. what are you looking at me for? Yep. Um, it's a, a reality that is intergenerational. Mm-hmm. And so what was done four or five generations ago is still reverberating Re- through the community. Yeah. So so we can acknowledge that and, and we can reach out. Uh, I have great hope for this country and and the people here. There is a magnanimous nature uh, 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 among Canadians, mm-hmm. so we we will get there, uh, David. We will get there, and and the world will stand back and say, "Yes, we knew they could do it." One, you know, Ed, it's interesting because I would have um, agreed with you, and I, I think I still do. But I really, um, so I had Ariel um, on the show Wednesday as well. And uh, she really challenged me uh, on the way she represent, is representing the, the black community and similar intergenerational yes. systemic yeah. uh, racism that they're facing. Um, but can we talk about London as a great city if populations within their city are being systematically yeah. marginalized? Um, and then, you know, I, I don't know the answer to that. And I, I, she really made me think about, you know, from my perspective, yes, but I'm not the one who's experiencing mm-hmm. systematic racism. So I can totally appreciate how somebody else's lens it's not a great city it's not a great country um if they're the ones on the, the other end of that, that that system that's uh causing them stress so uh you know when i look at our, our city i do see so many great things and so many accomplishments but it's um it's unfortunate that uh, there's so many problems but at the same time i do believe that if we look at the the optimistic future and, and put a vision forward for what we want to be um I, I still think I believe that that helps us to um, 
to know when we're not living up to that. Uh, at the same time, respecting, we have to be very careful because that allows us to say, no, we're great. We don't have to be involved in that. So I like what you said about the three-party system. I had actually thought about that dimension before um, because it doesn't allow the dynamic of, well, we'll just shuffle another rug and take the next election when we're in power because there's always this chance this the the third party uh, I mean they think they may win the election or a minority government come into play all sorts of different dynamics that just don't exist uh, yeah. the border so yeah municipal politics I think has that baked into it because it isn't a party system but uh, I hadn't really thought about that so it's really good reflection yeah no it, it, it's interesting uh, and uh, um the lack of a party system in London, I, I think, uh, allows people to be more free in terms of their expression. Uh, but I understand, and I think Ariel is, is quite right, that um, um, minorities or, or people who are marginalized, uh, living uh, a, a racialized reality, um, they do need our attention, as do uh, LGBTQ2 mm -hmm. Uh, communities. Um, we have uh, a strong Muslim community mm -hmm. here who has felt the effects of Islamophobia. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but um, collectively, um, if if we expand that whole notion of uh, the three-party system, mixed-member proportional, a uh, uh, non-aligned municipal council, and, and think in terms of how do we encourage uh, that incredible diversity that we have uh, into leadership roles, mm -hmm. and and uh, very very important to have those voices at the table. I uh, when um, when I was unceremoniously uh, 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 unelected in 1995, uh, there was a real sense of powerlessness, and and things were happening in in my city in my province that upset me terribly. I mean, the people who were the poorest in our community were being uh, cut in terms of their income. And uh, teachers were being told, what you do has no value. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a terrible time. Healthcare systems were being cut. 5,000 nurses were laid off. Mm -hmm. And our healthcare system uh, um, staggered under that. And uh, uh, that worried me dreadfully. And I felt very much uh, being on the outside looking in, scratching at the window, but not having a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. Every group within the city, um, everyone who has something to offer has to have a seat at that table because the perspective, the energy, the uh, understanding of, of their community brought to the discussion I think will make us stronger and better. So I would say to Ariel, I'm, I'm glad you're there. Mm -hmm. And I hope in the elections, both um, provincially and municipally, that we're going to see uh, a diversity of, uh, of voices and, and groups and, and faces, and uh, hopefully some faces that we haven't seen at that table before. I guess um, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning, and uh, maybe circle back. You know, one of the my, my theory was around uh, that one of the things that we do in London really well is human innovation. So we innovate really well when it comes to improving the human condition, and med medical innovation happens there. But I'm going to come back. You know, women in politics is an example of an area of 25% of representation. Mm -hmm. 
uh, of women across uh, Canada, I believe. Yes. Um, and women in politics came together to address that challenge, or yes. not maybe that specific challenge, but the challenge in general. And where I think we're actually starting to see some real success out of that system, some very, very strong female candidates, um, both municipally and, uh, you know, even in London, two or three MPs are, are female. Um, do you see that as a, an innovation? And do you see that in other communities, like, you know, women in politics coming together and having the impact that they have? Is that, a, is that an example of maybe Londoners coming together to solve problems in a unique way? Or is, are, you know, again, I don't have lenses to other communities. Are similar movements happening in other communities? Or are we, mm-hmm. and are we doing a better job than other communities in that? Role? I, I think London is doing a, a better job than other communities um, uh, simply because we do have uh, that visible group, women in politics, mm-hmm. um, but we still only have 25, 26% uh, female representation on council mm-hmm. and provincially and federally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, ironically, um, uh, the UN has been talking for years and years and years about that uh, 30% yeah. um, um, line uh, 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 after which things will get better. And we haven't reached that yet. Mm-hmm. So, so there's a lot of work to do, uh, but again, I'm I'm very hopeful, and I I encourage women to step up. But it's interesting um, uh, when Jack Layton was our leader, I had the great privilege to serve with Jack, and he was adamant about the uh, the need for more women to run in in winnable ridings, mm-hmm. and we have had a policy since uh, 1970 that says very clearly that. Um, organizations at the local, provincial, and federal level, like uh, our executives, have to have uh, at least 50% women. That's mm-hmm. that's the minimum. And when we find candidates, we want to have 50% at least uh, female candidates in uh, winnable ridings. 60% of the winnable ridings have to have a, a female candidate. So we've been working at that, and, and we've had some levels of success. At one point, we had a caucus of 44% uh, women. I think now it's about 40%. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we have to keep we have to keep after that. And uh, I, I was I've wandered off. But the point of this story was that Jack believed in that. Uh, Tom Mulcair, absolutely firm on that. Mm-hmm. Our current leader Jagmeet Singh uh, has made sure that the front bench is uh, women. If you look at uh, question period, there we are occupying most of the seats in the front bench um, because there's a recognition of what bring, women bring. And uh, uh, Jack would, he, he would go out and he would um, solicit, uh, he, would, he, he would talk to women and, and encourage them and say, uh, I want you to run and I'm going to get my uh, uh, critic for status of women to give you a follow-up call. And in those days, that was me. Mm-hmm. And the first thing out of the mouth of a prospective candidate was, I don't think that I know enough to do this job. Mm-hmm. And my response was always, a man would never say that. <laughs> and you do know enough. Uh, it's what's in your heart. Uh, you, as a, um, a member of a household, you probably manage the budgets and you do just fine. Mm-hmm. So you understand economics. And uh, you know time management because you're the one who um, makes sure that the kids get to the dentist, that the lunches are made, uh, that the appointments are kept, that uh, all of the things that make your family tick uh, are in place. So you've got great management skills. 
and that's part and parcel of what it is to be a member um, in in service to the public. So you've got all the skills. You just have to know how valuable those skills are. And yes, you can do it. And uh, that message has to reverberate, uh, I think, further and further out there. Um, it's not rocket science. The first year is an incredible learning curve. Right. But you learn, and you learn your job. And if you've got that heart to do that job for all the right reasons, you're just going to get better and better and better. So uh, step up and uh, take the plunge. That's amazing. Yeah, uh, I, I, I do agree that it's a, a significant problem. And I was surprised when you went to target uh, uh, 30% in Canada below well below that target uh, was really, again, eye-opening to uh, the 25% vaccination rate. Uh, it's really great. If you're interested at all in this topic, I'd recommend uh, checking that out because um, it is not right. You know, you think no. about, we have 50% of the population, but only 25% deciding the governance of each of our country. It just seems so counterintuitive to me um, that you know, it's definitely yes. a problem that we need to solve. So. We had uh, a situation, there was um, um, someone up in ship, uh, and it usually uh, uh, comes out in terms of, uh, of votes. Mm -hmm. And parties can agree that a vote will be orderly mm -hmm. or not. Mm -hmm. And so about uh, three weeks ago, uh, we were voting. We started voting at uh, uh, quarter to six in the evening. And uh, we voted around the clock. And we were still voting at 2.30 uh, the next afternoon. Uh, and and this was just um, a matter of well we can we can uh, mess up the works uh, if we want to, and we want to and and uh, while we were you know struggling over our coffee and and trying to stay awake and alert, um, the message if if women were in charge of this house this would never happen because we're far more sensible than 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 this and uh, uh, it's a message that comes up a lot. <laughs> I can only uh, imagine. Um, I know we're uh, we're coming up on uh, time. You got a busy schedule, so uh, thanks for for coming today. And actually, you just reminded me that my kids have a, a silent uh, uh, auction thing that we're going to tonight. So uh, my eternal housekeeping uh, time timer is going off there as well. Um, but one of the I'd like to kind of leave off with two sort of questions that um, people can uh, or you can consider. Um, Versus, do you have any questions for for me in this process? And also, if there's something I should have asked about when we talk about innovation and the brand of London, uh, is there anything I should have asked you? That you oh well, I, you covered a great deal. Um, uh, the brand of London, I think, is as a uh, um, progressive community uh, that uh, has a great deal of potential. Mm -hmm. um, no sitting back on our laurels. Embrace the things that we do well. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I would say to Londoners, become familiar uh, with what is here in this city. And, and take your kids to places like the Radar Museum mm -hmm. or Fanshawe Pioneer Village. I mean, how many people know that we have an Enigma machine at the Radar Museum mm -hmm. and that all of those people connected with that um, uh, World War II event had to remain silent for 50 years? Yeah. Uh, it, I mean, we have some incredible things here and people who were part of it. 
uh, pioneers and uh, innovators. So find out about these incredible people in your community and, and what's going on now and, and brag about it mm-hmm. and teach your children about it. Um, I think that's important for London. Great. Yeah, I mean, in closing, my thing is, uh, I think in some other communities, they have a single narrative or a, um, you know, obvious narrative. I compare and contrast to Waterloo a lot or Hamilton yes. had some stories. Calgary, you know, with oil and uh, Vancouver, uh, you know, has incredible uh, environmental messaging that they're coming out with in their city. Uh, my my curiosity with London is I think we have a thousand stories, a little more of an, an anthology. So it makes it harder to tell because there are yes. so many different great stories. There's not one universal arc yes. story. So um, as I explore these themes, it's to try to find if are there common threads we can pull out, or do we recognize you know what what makes us great is there is no single story. So, no, I, I think it's our human resources, our human capacity, mm-hmm. um, uh, that uh, I, I think is our great strength. Awesome. Well, with that, we'll close it off. Um, I just want to thank you so much. I know my pleasure. Uh, you're uh, you're taking time out of an important job to come and talk to us. Day, but hopefully people found it valuable and uh stay tuned we'll be releasing this on uh the podcast soon so thanks so much yeah well thank you david i, I think you've uh, met your um your goal in terms of defining london and, and london's a pretty fine place i love it yeah thanks so much thank you David and I have put our time into recording the Branding London podcast because we love this city and, more importantly, the people in it. Our traction decided to produce this podcast because this work is aligned with our core focus of amplifying great stories to increase relevance, impact, engagement, and momentum. If you'd like to support us, you can visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash brandinglondon. Your generous support will help us to promote this season into more channels so that more people can hear London's good news stories and it'll help us fund future seasons. To find recaps, videos of some interviews, our Patreon link, or more information about us in this podcast, you can visit ourtraction.com slash podcast. Production assistance for this series was provided by Webisodes. Special thanks to Adam Kaplan for his help with recording the live streams and providing the audio from those interviews. We're also grateful for the technical production support of Michael Dales. Thanks for listening. Like what you hear? Subscribe to the Branding London podcast, like our traction on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. 